Hi, this is Louis Canio. Welcome to the Doctor and Dad podcast. This fast-paced weekly podcast delves into the latest scientific findings on how we can all live longer and better lives. I'm the dad, and my daughter, Nicole, is a family medicine doc who trained at the renowned Cleveland Clinic. We hope you enjoy this short, informative show, and please be sure to visit thedoctorandad.com. Uh, and by the way, the doctor is abbreviated in that. So it's T-H-E-D-R-A-N-D-D-A-D.com for the show notes um, and other resources to help you learn about extending your health span. Within the notes, you'll find links to a bunch of stuff we discussed. So be sure to check it out. And thanks for listening. Hi, doctor. Hi, dad. So... We're talking about COVID-19 vaccines because that's you know, obviously the big news in the in the news, other than the ongoing election drama. Yeah, I was actually surprised with how much of a backseat COVID-19 took because we were really seeing this big third surge starting at that time. And it was like totally put on the back burner because every single thing on every news, you know, outlets pages were was nothing but the election so i was like i wonder when we're going to start talking about covid again <laughs> and sure enough it was not too long after the election that it became big news again but unfortunately we're, or yeah. we're still talking about the election oh, yeah. <laughs> so, so uh and, and we won't go we won't dive into that dark rap no i have nothing um, to add to that <laughs> I know, and I have no expertise. I may have an opinion, but no expertise. So, um, but certainly encouraging news. I mean, hey, the stock market thought it thought it was, and, and it obviously is. So, uh, and and we should note that um, we will, I think, maybe in our next podcast, talk about treatments because there's news there, both kind of positive and and negative. Yep. In terms of what's going on for treatments. So, um, but this is going to focus on vaccines. So before we dive into a review of kind of where we stand on, on the vaccine front. Uh, let's do a refresher on the disease itself. So give us the, the, the uh, uh, biological overview on COVID-19. Um, well, I know and that's <laughs> in a nutshell, just, just give us everything you know about COVID-19. Yeah. So just basically, especially to um, lend a little bit of help through the, this particular podcast, um, as I'm sure everyone still remembers, it's a virus. Um, it, it comes from the coronavirus family. Um, it's contagious respiratory, and now we know vascular disease. We at first thought it was mostly just respiratory, but tons and tons of research um, has now shown that it's pretty significant vascular disease as well. And and that's a that's an important point that we'll kind of hit on, I think, maybe a, a, um, towards the end um, when we talk about, okay, how safe do you feel? Should you take a, uh, take the vaccine given how fast it's coming to market or whatever? Right. But, it's not just, anyway, a, it's I, not just a common cold. Um, we don't know, you know, super accurate um, case fatality rates still because it's so, so hard to, to judge because testing has been inconsistent. It was poor it was like dismal for a while. Um, and mm -hmm. then it was super, um, 
like ramped up in some parts of the country, but not other parts of the country. Some places you're able to, and anyone who wants to be tested at any point in time can get tested. And I would say that's becoming the norm, but that kind of really goes into the actual mortality rate when you find all of these cases. And I remember back at the beginning, I could only, we could only test cases that were coming into the hospital or emergency room, let alone all the mild cases. Right. So if you're not catching the mild cases, then your mortality rate is going to be higher and, you know, whatever. So, um, but what we do know is that in the United States alone, 250,000 people have died from coronavirus. And I'm not going to lend any amount of credibility to all of the people saying that doctors are inflating numbers for whatever reason, or that we're calling it death from COVID when it's not death from COVID. Um, let's just take that as a blanket statement that that is, you know, that's, that's another. Number. Yeah. So 250,000. And, and increasing by these oh, days by about 2,000 a day. So we're seeing the, the biggest, you know, rates right now. And to put it into perspective, the influenza causes between 25 and 60,000 deaths a year, depending on the severity. So clearly it's a much more significant infection than influenza. Um, but anyways, it's a virus. It's a, from the coronavirus family, but particularly when you hear the um, name SARS-CoV-2, um, it's from the severe acute respiratory syndrome coronavirus. So that's the SARS and then COV and two, because this is, um, this is the second type that we've seen because the first one was the, the, the first SARS when you heard about the SARS outbreak in 2002, um, the 2004. Right. So yeah. it's, um, genetically similar to bat coronaviruses. So we think it came from animals, um, maybe from a bat-borne virus. Um, and from there, it's capable of causing other, other coronaviruses cause, you know, can cause some really significant diseases like the SARS and the MERS, which is Middle East Respiratory Syndrome with super high fatality rates. Fortunately, this one does not have um, you know, that high yeah, we kind of rate. dodged a bullet there. Um, it has a high um, transmission rate. Right. I, I've read somewhere that its transmission rate is it's R naught is what they call it is maybe in the seven range. Right. Which um, is very, very if you, high. If you, if in an uncontrolled environment, in other right. words, you're doing nothing to control it. You're not doing social isolating, whatever. And any, again, anything above one, means it's going to spread kind of exponentially and the speed is is relative to how far above one you are right so i think um, it's so, with no measures being done one person with this uh with with covid um spreads it to five to six people and that is way more that that in infectivity rate is way higher than the sars and mers were but those had a much higher fatality rate so it kind of puts into perspective you didn't hear as much about SARS because it didn't infect as many nearly as many people but the people who did get it had a much higher chance of um, mortality dying yeah so yep. Yep. in this particular it's an RNA virus um, and it attacks the you know the respiratory system and it uses ACE2 receptors which are found not just in the respiratory system, but in the gut. And that's why you have GI symptoms. They're found kind of all over the place. And then there's also. Could that be a 
a, a reason why it affects the bas vascular system as well, um, I wonder. So there's a few other reasons why um, we think that it affects and causes micro clots, kind of. So it can cause big mm -hmm. clots, right? Like uh, pulmonary embolisms and um, clots in the leg and that kind of stuff. But what I think autopsy reports have shown more is micro thrombi, like a, like a mm -hmm. lot of micro thrombi that are occluding things. And that's why they're seeing in autopsy reports of severe cases, widespread organ damage. So why is this? Well, and, and, and also, if you did not even in, in you know, people who die, but in people who don't die, the long-term effects mm -hmm. could be significant because of that damage. Mm -hmm. Yes. Right. Yes. Um, so there's a lot of them and there's still a ton of research going on. We know a lot, the, the research and the, the research on this and the medication, even though we don't have great treatments, we have some and we have learned a lot. Um, and the what we're going to talk about with the vaccine approach that what's happened in the past less than one year, I find to be absolutely astonishing. Um, a lot of people it is it is like, somewhat of a medical miracle in terms of the seem to the... put all of their eggs in this basket for the greater good. Um, and everyone's like, oh, when is this going to be over? But in the grand scheme of things, I feel like what's happened in the last less than one year um, is is just crazy. And there's so much credit that should be given to everybody, you know, not just the healthcare workers who are taking care of patients, but the scientists and the, um, you know, the PhDs and the and even the the drug companies. Um, obviously, they have financial yeah. gain, yeah. but still dropping everything. And maybe, maybe even a little bit for the of credit for the politicians in this. Right. We'll, we'll talk a little bit more about that in a, in a minute or two. <laughs> yeah, but just based on you know for the vax for the topic of the vaccine, um, the this virus. Look, we have DNA in our cells. The this virus is an RNA virus. Um, so the RNA, and you know, when you think about can a vaccine be successful? It has to be something where you get a vaccine and it is going to cause your body to mount an immune response so that when you see that real virus in the community um, and it tries to infect your cells, your body is already recognized and is already primed to fight it off before it makes you sick. That's, the, that's what vaccines do. Um, and then I think the first question would be, well, people have been infected twice. So if that's the case and you can just keep getting reinfected, then a vaccine would be useless because your body is not, is not right. to that response. What we, that's, you know, all of that data is still not a hundred percent clear, but there's very few cases of true reinfection. Some of these reinfection, potential reinfections are actually lingering pieces of RNA fragments that are getting picked up. So the person is not actually reinfected. It's just old RNA that's being picked up from um, from the virus, the initial infection, and we don't know why it still sticks around, but it's not a true reinfection. There's a couple cases where it's a completely different strain of the virus because viruses, not just coronavirus, all viruses will slightly mutate. It doesn't make them super viruses or anything. It just makes them slightly different as they propagate throughout the community. So a couple of the cases are of um, a different strain of the virus that's caused it. But by and large, I think at this point where I, I think from the first initial cases, we're close to a year out, we would be seeing a lot more reinfection if that was, yeah. if, if we weren't able case. 
to so it's mount it's a response. It's probably not like the seasonal flu where a different vaccine has to be developed every year because you got a different strain of the flu that's predominant every year. I hope not, but that's so that's still out. Um, yeah. But it doesn't act quite like the influenza virus and how it changes. But again, only time will tell. But for now, what we know is that our body does mount an appropriate immune response um, when it gets the virus. And just because the antibodies wane after a few months does not mean that you're not still immune to reinfection. There's different types of immune responses that our immune system develops. So a lot of people are like, well, if you can't detect antibodies after three months, then, you know, you don't have immunity. Um, But that's not the case. There's different there's different paths that the immune system takes to protect you. So, you. so let's, let's segue now. Um, that, thank you. That, that was, that's a great kind of review of, of the, the biology of the virus. And then, and that sets us up for, for talking about how, you know, the various vaccines can affect it. But before we go take a deep dive into the vaccines, let's kind of review for listeners how these vaccines get their approval because that is definitely a, a key part of the, the process mm-hmm. and, and is a, a very different uh, process with regard to what's happening now versus what is kind of the, the standard operational procedure. Right. So there are various stages in this, in this process of either developing vaccines or, or drug, treatment drugs. Um, and, and there are some differences, but the similarities are, are more so than the differences. So we'll just kind of lump, yep. lump them in. Um, and so, so first you, you would do a preclinical study. So you're not doing a, a, this is kind of the raw research that, that a company or even, you know, the national national institutes of health would do around um, to, to try to get to some proof of concept. You've got a theory and you're trying to, to prove out that, that general theory. You're not really diving into anything around safety or efficacy of the, of the drug um, or, or the vaccine. You're doing your studies on animals, which either, you know, to, to, to some degree, hopefully will be transmissible to humans, but not in all, all cases. With regard to vaccines, you, you give the animal the vaccine and then you give it the, the, uh, uh, the, the virus. Right. And then you test its reaction to them. Um, and a lot of times your theories are wrong or, or what have you. And then um, you got to go back to the drawing board. And, and I've read that that can be a 10 to 15 year process right. from, from start to, to end. Yep. Uh, to, to, to just not even start to end. From preclinical just to phase one. Right. It can be 10 to 15 years. That's that's amazing when you <laughs> again that, when you think yeah. about we're we're talking about having this thing out. So you, so let's say you go through that process, ten to fifteen years. You get to you get to your phase one, which is the goal is trying to establish a, a, a what is the effective dosage um, and maybe frequency and and what have you. You're only typically um, now at this point in phase one, you're you're using humans, but only about you know, between 20 and a hundred. Right. Still not a big, still not a big group of people. Um, but, uh, enough to start to develop, you know, your dose response. 
because you want the lowest effective dose because the lowest effective dose, no matter what, is going to give you the fewest adverse effects. Right. But you start dosing low because mm -hmm. you don't know what those if adverse that, effects are going to be. Exactly. <laughs> if there's those side effects are going to be, yeah, you yeah. don't want to kill out your first, you know, hundred. No, that'll stop, uh, that'll stop the entire um, study in its tracks. Study. Exactly. And, and we've read about some of these studies being stopped in their tracks yep. and then restarted. Which is common. That's not uncommon because if you take a big population of people, which again, the population of people getting the vaccine grows and grows and grows as the trials go on and stuff happens to people, if, you know, whether they get the vaccine or not. But if something happens to someone who's in the trial, which might be completely unrelated, could be related, but it could also be completely unrelated. You've got to stop because you've got to make sure you're keeping everyone in the trial safe from something that could have been from the vaccine. So the stopping yep. and starting is something that happens. It's very common. And it actually is showing you that the trials are working how they should, you know. And because of because there's so few people, you're really not testing the ability to um, to not catch the disease. What you're testing is is will humans develop the same antibodies or, or so, at least some anti antibodies that that then can, you can conclude will be effective in fighting off. Oh, right, the because you've already you have your proof of concept with the animal model. So with the animals, so you're trying to say, okay, what we proved with animals, now we we're proven with with humans in phase sure first that it's safe. Yeah, phase one, yeah. and then so let's say you that's successful, you get to phase two, and here it's more around the safety. Mm -hmm. piece of it right so you you want to make sure it doesn't cause serious side effects um and and you know have the cure be be worse than the disease right. um and now you're talking hundreds of people so still a lot less than than what we've seen with these trials of 30 to forty thousand. yep um so yeah not this is again still because you have to establish safety before you go on to and you can move pretty quickly from phase one to phase two and phase two then to phase three, because, again, small sets of people and those those results are you, you find out pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. um, it seems like the longest um, the longest periods of time are in the preclinical. And then when you get to phase three, because in phase three, you're getting you your goal is to be able to submit to the FDA for for approval. And you're you're you using it on tens of thousands of people. Um, it takes hundreds of millions of dollars it, um, in cost. It's a five to ten year project. And, and you're looking um, at efficacy, so you need it. It needs to show that it's working. But then you're still you're still always monitoring safety, especially safety time for long term side effects. Yep. So in the end. You know, from preclinical on, you're you're talking twenty years and a billion dollars, <laughs> and that might be, you know, yeah. I I mean, I don't have any better on data average. than that. That's a, that's crazy, a lot of money. It is, it is. So contrast that with what has occurred, and this is this is the the interesting thing, and and it's it's called Operation Warp Speed in the U.S. It was initiated by the Trump administration. And the key to it was, and, and I, I think this was smart, obviously, in retrospect, is they basically took the risk away from the pharmaceutical companies. They said, if you can develop it, we will buy mm -hmm. millions upon millions of doses. Mm -hmm. um, and 
you know, yes, we want it to be safe, but we're going to set an, an efficacy bar not too high. I think it was 50%. Yep. Right. Yeah. And that's very, you know, it's funny how that this doesn't get and hasn't been discussed much in the news about what has been done. And I am not defending the Trump administration for anything. Um, however, it is interesting that they were able to put this together. And this would be a, a very positive thing that came out of the administration. Not to say that any other administration would have done anything differently. Um, but we would have so many more medical advancements and treatments for things if there was funding for it. Because right now, mm -hmm. most of these things come from these pharmaceutical companies, and they're not going to look into anything that's not financially beneficial for them. Um, right. because it's a business. So to tell them up front, we're going to take away the risk because, you know, we need you to do this for the, you know, the United States. Um, and we're going to tell you that we're going to buy them from you. That takes away anything. And all they need to do is put all of their efforts into creating a safe and effective vaccine. You know, it takes out all of the, of the stuff in between that, kind of muddies the water. Um, and I think that it's, it's just interesting that that really has not been praised at all, but I guess it's hard. Yeah, it's hard to praise. Yeah, we, it's hard to praise the Trump administration for anything. Well, it's, it is, it gets, you know, into that political mm -hmm. kind of just, just muck. Um, the other thing, but, and I, and it, to be specific, the, the government actually, in, in terms of Operation Warp Speed, it's doing a lot of things, actually. It's also yeah. helping on the distribution side. Right. But right. in addition to saying, OK, we're going to buy tens of millions of doses, which you'd expect them to do. Yeah. And, and there is this, I tell you, there's this other piece around, you know, the equity of wealthy nations getting all the, the, the vaccine, at least early on. But I saw <laughs> that a big chunk of the, I think it was Pfizer vaccine, it was talking about... Um, how many they're buying, but only a small percentage of those, relatively speaking, was staying in the United States. Really, they are not all uh, staying in the United States. They're not all staying inside, but 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 if they're going elsewhere, they may be going to Great Britain or yeah. you know other wealthy nations, not to Sub-Saharan yeah, Africa. Yeah. Or, I know, you know that's those that's those a, types of things. Yeah. But now that whole another issue. But that's but, the same but, thing. There's but, people in you know countries that are still struggling to get vaccines against, you know, things that we haven't seen. in decades. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Measles and whatever. Yeah. Um, but the, the other thing the government paid for is those phase three trials, right. which are very expensive. Right. So it took because that's I think that's where, you know, actually what I've heard is most of the big pharmaceutical companies, the Pfizer's and the Merck's um, and Johnson's and Johnson's actually aren't in the business of doing preclinical and phase one or phase two trials, yeah. what they'll do is they'll buy those kind of startup companies or those, you know, more um, kind of uh, uh, early stage funded companies that have an idea around that um, because they're more marketing um, and uh, companies than they are drug development companies. Right. Yeah. When you come down to it. So so and and what you see with with Pfizer is they teamed up with, with this company called Biogen. Yeah, because I think Biogen really has the technology around kind of what it's, what it's going to take. But Pfizer has the, the means to to produce it. Right. You know, which is a whole nother piece. Yeah. But so 
Um, so let's get into, so yes, a tremendous, um, a tremendous results in terms of, of getting to where we are. Now, hopefully, let's say that hopefully there's not going to be some surprise where, you know, people start coming down with, with some sort of ailment. Cause again, we've, we've, yeah. we have accelerated this well beyond what is the normal pace and it wouldn't be the first either vaccine or drug to be pulled from the market, right. let's say, right. after more generalized distribution, even after it's been, you know, you've had a big, a big trial, because we don't know what the six month, year, five year effects. I mean, thalidomide is the, is the poster child for right. a drug that was approved by the FDA and found to have just devastating birth mm-hmm. defects consequences. And that's the other uh, thing. This was not tested on any pregnant person or breastfeeding. Or children. Or actually. children, yeah. So there's a whole bunch of other pieces. Which is understandable because, again, this is going very fast. Um, but yes. that's just a caveat to anyone who might be listening that it has not been shown safe because it hasn't been tested yet in anyone who's pregnant or breastfeeding or children. Right. Right. So, so, but, um, you know, fortunately those folks aren't in the highest risk categories. So either. Um, so in terms of vaccines, yeah, let's talk about the two that have been in the news, uh, most prominently Pfizer, uh, Pfizer Biogen and Moderna. Uh, and they are using the same approach. Um, this, this MRNA approach that as I understand it delivers, the RNA of the coronavirus into your body, which is a little scary when you think about it. <laughs> it then gets taken up by your. So your I'm going to stop you. I'm going to stop you right there. It's not scary, um, because okay, Thank you. <laughs> people think oh, the only time I get the flu is when I get the flu vi- or flu vaccine, and the flu vaccine gives me the flu. It's giving you like pieces of a of the virus that is there's some there's some vaccines that are inactivated viruses right so they're right. a virus but they're not alive and they're not active this is not even an inactivated virus this is literally pieces of its rna which is the equivalent of our dna right so it's not going to form a it's not going that rna cannot then like create coronavirus within your body right they're That's not pumping DNA. virus into your system and we're not pumping <laughs> stuff into your system that can then make itself into the coronavirus so it is not scary um it's actually the least one of the least scary um types of vaccines i think um oh cool and the rna so the rna gets taken up by the dna um i mean by your cells and then our dna uses it to make the protein and it's the rna codes for all rna is going to code for um proteins. And this particular RNA that's getting put into, brought up into your cells makes the coronavirus spike protein because it doesn't do us any good to do just a general family of coronavirus um, protein. It has to be something specific to COVID-19 or SARS-CoV-2 in order for your body to mount a specific reaction to just this, you know, virus. So it took the spike protein, which was unique to the particular coronavirus we're talking about with this pandemic. So it makes those, your body sees them as foreign because there's, and this is a whole nother topic of how the body identifies things as um, me versus not me. Um, It sees it as foreign and then starts creating an immune response to it, including antibodies to the spike protein. 
and the amount of spike protein you get from the virus is not substantial. It's enough to have your body see it, make antibodies and remember it so that when you are out, you know, and unfortunately come in contact, come in contact with this coronavirus in the community and it starts to replicate, it gets shut down by your immune system before it has a chance to actually present um, the disease itself. So you are quote unquote, immune to it. Um, and, and so, so, and we should note that when, so this, the, what this approach is called is M as, as in Mary RNA, as in whatever, what's ribonucleic acid. I, yeah. Do I have that right? Yeah. Okay. So, um, <laughs> you, you pronounce it correctly for me. No, you continue. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so what we should note is that so when you get infected with with COVID when we, with, with SARS-CoV-2, um, you shed infectious infectious virus for about a week, but you're gonna be PCR test positive for as long as three months. Right. That's and, right. and what they're yep. what they're detecting in that PCR test is not the virus, the infectious virus, but it's this messenger that M stands for messenger. RNA. Right. So it's only picking and that's what the, yeah, right. So the PCR test is picking up RNA of the virus to say, Hey, you have it or Hey, you don't. Um, and what we found, because this is not very common. No, it's, it's pretty viruses. unique to this, to this COVID. Cause otherwise you do, a, you know, you do a PCR test for influenza and if it's positive, it's positive and you're infected with it, actively infected, not like, right. Oh yeah, you have it, but maybe you're over your infection. Maybe this was three months ago, you know, it's, it just is what it is with this. That's what we were talking about before that maybe people who had tested positive twice really never cle totally cleared the RNA, but that RNA sticking around is not causing an active three month infection in you. And in some people, they might have obviously a prolonged infection. Um, but, but in the normal course of events and that person is not infectious. Right. In, in general, right. You're it's like a week to 10 days. And that's why you have that stay at home for 10 days if you are symptomatic and found to be positive. That's that's the, you stay at home for 10 days and isolate versus quarantine and wait for symptoms if you came in contact with somebody with it. Gotcha, yeah. And so as everyone at this point knows, both Pfizer and Moderna have um, published um, results, or actually they, I don't think they, they've actually published those results yet, but they've, they've publicized the fact that, that their vaccines are up to 95% effective, which is, which is really stunning for, for a vaccine. That's, that's a high level of, of um, um, effectiveness. Mm -hmm. So they have to, they have to give results. They have to disclose results early um, because of insider trading concerns. Oh, gotcha. Now yeah. you, they're not going to quote unquote publish anything until they have all of the data. And I mean, that's going to take a little bit longer, but they, you have to publish or you have to um, publicize early results and substantial results to prevent um, insider trading issues. Yeah. So, so what, what you, we don't know is let's say the exact number of people over 65. Or the there's exact not right. So there's, there's still that, more that data detail. that needs to come out. Like exactly what you said, what about the, high risk populations did they were was it that it was you know 99% effective in people under 50 and only 80% effective in people over 50 um you know stuff like that and that data has not been 
published yet. However, it's still very optimistic. And I think now Moderna and Pfizer have come out with um, even more recent data saying that they're 94.5% and 95% effective. And what that means, um, from my understanding, is that you have your big group of people and you you vaccinate them. You give them either the vaccine or the placebo and the person does not know what they have. And then you don't go then have them, you know, breathe in COVID virus because that's not something we do. That's not ethical. Um, <laughs> right. That's what's that called? Challenge. The, yeah. Give, yeah. Challenge so, them with the with the actual disease. With the actual did that virus. A long yeah. time ago. And then ethics <laughs> came into play and you can't do that. So you vaccinate, you give them either the placebo or the vaccine and send them off and to, to you know, live their day to day life and tell them to continue to adhere to regular procedures, you know, wear your mask mm-hmm. or no one's told to do anything differently. And then you wait for people to get it. And I'm sure there's some protocol with testing. Maybe these people are tested every day. I'm not sure about that, but then I think only it's a small number. Um, and don't quote me on this, but it's like, you know, a couple hundred people of all of those people who got it got COVID. Um, so actually, right. I, it, so in the, I got, I have the numbers actually. So okay. for Pfizer, 43,000 people participated in the study. Now, I'm assuming that's both control group and placebo group. So you assume that half got the vaccine and half didn't. Half didn't. In all, the trial had 162 confirmed cases of symptomatic COVID-19 in the placebo group versus eight among those who received the two scheduled doses of the vaccine. So interesting. And that's how you get things, to you know, that only, only 170, roughly 170 people out of 43,000 got the disease right. and you and it sounds like well that's not enough to really determine eff- efficacy but really in this situation it, it is so that's a, a huge difference that 162 of them were in the did not get the vaccine group and only eight people had symptomatic illness in the um in the vaccine group and of those eight i want to say only one had severe illness and you might have those. Right. So it looks like it may even reduce the severity in in addition to reducing the chance of catching it at all. Right. So those are pretty substantial um, results. And I think Moderna's was very obviously very similar to, to that. Um, but it's just an interesting way because, again, you can't like with an animal and you can call this unethical too. Um, certainly depend, especially depending on what kind of animal you're using. But they're they're exposing to get through that first proof of concept. Um, for a vaccine, you're directly exposing, you're not waiting for like the monkey or the rat to come in contact with coronavirus, you're exposing them to it and waiting for them to get sick or not get sick. Um, but you can't do that with humans. And some people would say you shouldn't do that with animals, but um, that's for a different topic. <laughs> topic. Yep. Yep. Um, so the the next big news on the horizon is, okay, you know, we under, we, we know these are effective and they appear to be safe. Right. So both companies are, are now um, uh, petitioning the FDA for what's called emergency use authorization. Right. Um, because they didn't go through the normal protocol. So it's got to be a special Right. Everything you see now with coronavirus, whether it's treatment or these vaccines, is coming under EUA authorization because to get FDA approval takes a lot of time. And what we don't have, obviously, right now is a lot of time. Um, so the other thing just to mention about both of these is their two dose 
vaccines. And I believe they're about a, a week apart um, where you have to get the second dose. So in order for it to be that 95% of effective vaccine you it's two doses it has to be stored sub-zero temperatures which is not uncommon um and then well but pfizer's has to be is different than modernist because pfizer's has to be stored way 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 below zero ultra cold moderna um relatively warmer still cold but um so have you guys started to have you heard anything within your practice at the at the hospital uh within that hospital system around vaccine distribution and um, I administration from the health department from the nebraska health department that um we will be getting it and that that means nebraska will be getting it um and i know that some of our hospital systems have the big um big freezers that can mm -hmm. handle um that can handle the vaccine storage once it's once it's it has to be used within like a week or two weeks of being out of that um sub-zero temperature freezer so but then the question is how is it going to be distributed um and from what i have seen it's going to go to high risk groups so like the highest risk is going to be your nursing home um and then high risk healthcare workers which is going to be um like emergency department and icu staff so those will probably be the first group of groups of people to get the vaccine. Um, and then after that, it would be other healthcare workers, probably primary care, because we're seeing the less um, severe cases, but still all of the people who are sick. Um, and then more high risk, non-nursing home. Right. And we should note that that each state gets to kind of put its own yeah. Uh, yeah. protocols in place Correct. around who get or, or priority list. So yep. um, yeah. what, what happens in Nebraska may be different than what happens in North Carolina. Or right. Maine. And it also varies as to how much, how much of the vaccine each state's getting, like it's not going to be, it's not going to, I don't think. And, and, if, and, and I, I guarantee you, and this will be, I'm sure we'll make the news is some states will be, will be better at distribution distributing it uh -huh. um, than others uh -huh. you know? yeah so, so to be pbd oh and, and and what i've heard also i just heard it on the news today and again this gets in the into the politics of it but and we want to be 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 careful but what i've heard is there is an issue around i, I think the federal government has authorized or or distributed 200 million for um it to states to help pay for distribution costs, which right. is really not going to cut it, particularly right. um, with the, with the Pfizer vaccine needing all this sophisticated exactly. refrigeration. And whatever. Yeah. But even even in normal thing, it's just not enough for, for an effort like this. I mean, mm -hmm. this is a, a wartime level effort to get as many people vaccinated as, right. as fast as possible. So which it sounds like, oh, piece. here's the vaccine, go get your vaccine. But oh, there's a there's so much that goes into in, into that piece and mm -hmm. what what is kind of compounding it is um state um state budgets have been really adversely impacted by this whole covid thing to begin with and unlike the federal government i think it's either most or all states can't deficit right finance. right like, 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 so they've got to balance their budget so they, they don't have the money they more money they just can't print more money yet. No, so again, we want to stay stay away from the politics of it. Not our not our area of expertise, but but that's that's a, a factor. So, yeah. um, so so but but 
you know, within the next, you know, several weeks, the first people on the front lines could be getting vaccines. That's, that's tremendous. Yeah, I agree. And at first I was, I was skeptical um, of the vaccine and its safety, but after, you know, understanding a lot more of what went into it and the safety, of course, it's not going to be as, as um, unquestionably safe as that vaccine that's been around for 20 years, but given everything that we know um, and given what we know about COVID and its potential and what it's currently doing, you know, across the world, I am uh, a lot more comfortable with the vaccine and, and would not have a problem getting the vaccine. Yeah. You know, and we should note there are a number of other vaccines with using other different approaches mm-hmm. that are, are coming to market. There's, there's a couple of vaccines, you know, with one being used in China and one another in Russia right now with presumably even less of a, of a you know, uh, safety uh, protocols than, than yeah. what, what I, we're talking about. I don't know anything about the Russian because um, they're I think their information is relatively under wraps. Same thing with China. Um, we just don't have their data available because um, they're not sharing it. Um, but I don't think either one of them is using this, um, you know, uh, memory um, RNA uh, type RNA. of yeah. a, a messenger RNA type of uh, of approach. I think um, the the Chinese have this. Um, it's called replication defective. Um, I can't yep. even pronounce it, but uh, yeah, approach. which ask, right the same approach I think that AstraZeneca is using in their vaccine, um, and that's not wrong. It's not bad. We've had vaccines made from all kinds of different approaches. Well, and, right, and and it may prove over time that you know one of Absolutely. the other vaccines, not Moderna or Pfizer, t- is comes out to be more effective, less risky all of those things but the first ones that that certainly appear to be um uh, will be distributed are 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 those two so yeah it's right to focus on them now we 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 do have to i think point out before we end this that um you know there's there's a big um you know or not a majority segment, but there's a substantial segment in the, of the U.S. population that is leery of vaccines anyway. Let's call them the anti-vaxxers. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's going to be another set of people that are leery of this particular vaccine because of its speed speed to, to market, Correct. so to speak. Yeah. And, you know, the, the, all the, the political BS that... that and there's also groups of people who don't this. believe in... COVID um, at all. Oh, geez. And yeah. that just, they're, they're, you know, don't believe in the severity of it. And right. So, if, so if you don't, it. if you don't get widespread vaccination, then you don't get the, you know, that herd immunity that's going to knock this thing down. And, and right. But you'd be surprised how many people get the flu vaccine every year. Not as many as you'd think. And no, well, the, yeah, that's what I've heard is the maximum that we've ever gotten is maybe half of the people. Yes. But I will say that I have had to give my little like spiel about how the flu vaccine is safe and very effective and the best thing you can do in the wintertime to stay healthy for you and to protect your loved ones. Um, I've had to give that spiel twice because everyone else just says yes and is getting it. They're taking it. They're taking never, it. It's I never been this easy to, um, and I've never had this many people get the flu vaccine. 
So, so I, I looked, I looked, people are like, okay, maybe I'll get this flu shot. Maybe I'll get this a little less. Well, hopefully, you know, it's, it's, it's just amazing. I, I did just a, a touch of research on this, on, on, you know, what spawned all this anti-vaccine and it, obviously it was concern that, um, that autism in young children is being caused by the, um, vaccines. Yep. you know, and, and measles, rubella vaccine. And it was complete fraud. It was. It turns out this guy, Andrew Wakefield. Yes. Um, I don't even, I don't even know that we want to get in to into that. that. <laughs> but well, I, just, mean, I, think, yes, I think we was, just need to say it's fabricated. Is, yes. So all fabricated. This, this was it, all it, around. And he, this he got published. Mm-hmm. He got published because he had data. He had good data, yeah. except the data was a lie. He just made it up. Complete so lie. It it's it kind of linked autism to vaccines very strongly, and of course, everyone you know got scared, and it was good data. So um, then it comes out later that the data was it wasn't just like a bad study. He made up the data, um, and but but in that time while everyone thought it was true, you had celebrities and, you know, influencing people and get, jumping on this anti-vax train. And then you didn't really hear a lot of them backtracking it after this all came out and people have been stuck on this anti-vax. And I am, I'm not saying that they're hundred percent safe. They are not, but what they have done to prevent vaccine preventable illness and death it goes far beyond the risks of vaccines. So, and, that's and that is the, that's the key part, even for this vaccine yeah. is there's, there's some level of risk and, and probably more risk with this vaccine than the normal vaccine because of the speed to market. Right. So com- what you got to do is compare the risk of the vaccine versus the risk of the disease. Right. Exactly. And go back and, and take a look at pictures of what happened in the polio generation, you know, and, that's kind of a, an example yeah. of a severe, yeah. severe, you know, lethal or chronically debilitating illness that is completely preventable with a vaccine, though that vaccine might cause a couple side effects in some people, you know, that's not right. ideal, right. but compared to the disease. So, if but I can see, I can see some, you know, kind of low risk, someone who doesn't have a whole lot of, yeah. doesn't have any comorbidities is, you know, in their thirties, twenties, thirties, forties, let's say saying, eh, I'm going to pass, you know, on this round or the next round. And the thing that maybe mitigates against that is to, to kind of go full circle back to what we talked about at the very beginning. And that is that this is not just a respiratory disease, it's a vascular mm-hmm. disease. Right. And, and you, you protect your, you are protecting yourself because anyone can get severe infection, but you're also protecting those others. around you. Yeah. yeah, that's the other piece of it. So, so, so bottom line, I, I think I would take the vaccine if it was available to me today, right now. Yeah. Would you, you're in the same boat? Yep. Same here. I would take good. it today. Good. good. Well, well, we'll stay tuned. It's the, there's going to be a lot of, uh, of stuff in the news. We're recording this on, what is it, the uh, 20th or so of, of November. So next couple of weeks um, should be action-packed in this regard. So, and and, and hopefully we'll, uh, we'll know who the president is <laughs> by the time we do our next podcast as well. Yep. So, okay. Well, you have a great rest of the day, Nicole. Good chatting right. with you. you. Thanks again for listening. You can visit thedoctorandad.com, that's spelled T-H-E-D-R 
A-N-D-D-A-D.com for show notes to any of our podcasts, as well as other useful info on extending health span. Now the legal disclaimer. This podcast is for informational purposes only and does not constitute the practice of medicine, nursing, or other professional healthcare services, including the giving of medical advice. And no doctor-patient relationship is formed. Use of this information in show notes is at the user's own risk. The content of this podcast is not meant to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Listeners should not, should not disregard or delay taking medical advice or treatment for any medical condition they may have and should seek the assistance of their medical professional for any such conditions. We also want you to know that we take no funding from any product or service that may be mentioned on the Doctor and Dad 